Hi, I'm Zoraida Cordova, and you are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Well, we have one of those new talking machines. Now that is something. It plays music right here in our home. Progress is something we can't take for granted. Progress takes a lot of people wanting it and willing to work for it. You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... But I thought, I want to do a, a, a fairy tale that puts a foot in the, the some of the tropes. Like, I'm, I'm tired of princesses. I don't like princesses. I don't like how they get treated. I don't like how they have to dress. Glass slippers, are you serious? Come on, that's dumb. Um, what do you mean <laughs> the strange man gets to kiss you and marry you at the end? What? What the hell is that about? Strange man kisses me and marries me? I think not. <laughs> Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Sherry Sondheimer. Welcome into another episode of the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online, um, I guess pretty much Twitter, I thought pretty much all we are at this point. Uh, but you can find us at the GBB Podcast and uh, the Roarbots and Roarworthy. We're kind of spreading ourselves out over all those places. Um, I'm your host, Jamie Green. The Roarbots is me. And joining me this week is Sherry. Uh, Again. Well, hello, Shiri. How are you doing this week? I'm good. Uh, I wanted to start off with sort of an announcement. Do-do-do! The Roarbots Podcast Network um, is expanding, or has already expanded. Uh, we, over at the Roarbots, uh, we have a few shows. We've got uh, this show, The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We've got the uh, Bodaciously Awesome Family Show. And we've got the Jiminy Crickets, um, Disney, Jiminy Crickets, the Jiminy Crickets podcast, which is an all Disney show, which and all three of those shows are fantastic and phenomenal, and we love them. Uh, and starting this month, we have Way Back Attack! Exclamation uh, point! Our very own Preston Burt and Brian Grantham are uh, hosting a new nostalgic look back at some of the things that some of us grew up with that are now getting rebooted, remade, or are somehow coming back. Uh, thus the way back attack because it's coming back from the past and attacking us um and as long as it's not giant shoulder pads oh god i they haven't touched on fashion yet they might <laughs> i don't know my my daughter came home from school every week they get this um the family question they have to ask everybody and one of them was uh what is the most embarrassing fashion trend you followed and right away, I knew it was pegging my jeans in middle school because mm. I was trying to be cool. And she had no idea what that was. And I had to show her. And I felt stupid just doing it. Um, <laughs> tangent. Anyway, uh, sorry about that. But the, uh, way back attack there, we've got the first two episodes are online now. Search them where search for the show wherever you uh, find your podcasts. Uh, subscribe. Leave them a review. Listen. Tell us online. Tell Preston online. Um whether you like it, what you like, what you want to hear. And we've got a special audio teaser for you right now. Presenting the sounds of Wayback Attack, all of your favorite nostalgia and how it shapes today's greatest pop culture. All in one incredible collection. There is one episode that um, there's like dog looking creatures. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because some of those creatures are very like lifelike looking. And then there's one that is so off like Uh from the other two. And it's really campy. But then you look back to um, the original and that creature that was in the crate kind of had that same like goofy vibe to it mm-hmm. like authenticity was out the window and it was just 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 campy get way back attack for absolutely free from your favorite podcasting app it's more than one full hour of all of your favorite pop culture references when i was a kid i had a cryptkeeper mask like on like one of the bedposts of my bed that i used to when my little sister she were seven years apart in age, so I, if I was 14, she would have been like, oh, I wouldn't have been that. Oh, I was probably 
13 or something. So she would be like six or seven. I would lock her in my room. I'd put a crutch under the doorknob <laughs> to my room and I'd turn on Alice Cooper, put on my Crypt Keeper mask and turn on a strobe light and chase her around. Oh my so, gosh. And you're currently estranged from your sister, right? <laughs> Is that- <laughs> one, one time she was like, yeah, I'm so happy you think that's so funny because I went to therapy for years for it. And oh I was my like, gosh. Ah, it's all water in the bridge. <laughs> so... <laughs> Subscribe to listen to other great episodes with no obligation to buy. Cancel any time. All right, so for my for my next pick, I'm going with my favorite mask of Mask. Mobile Armored Strike Command. M-A-S-K. That's the cartoon series and the toy line from Kenner. That was one that I loved as a kid. Now, it didn't stick with me. The cartoon didn't stick with me as much as those toys did. But I will say, I I loved it all the same. Wayback Attack is not sold in stores. So subscribe now to hear how pop culture past becomes pop culture present. To subscribe to Wayback Attack, search for it on your preferred podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and SoundCloud. All right, Shiri, that is Wayback Attack. That is uh, the newest member of the Robots Podcast Network, and I'm pretty excited. I'm happy that we continue to grow. And I hope uh, Preston and Brian have all the success in the world and just don't step on our toes. (laughs) (laughs) But this week, we've got yet another interview. That's what you've come to us to expect. And uh, we talked to Kay Eason, who has written... um, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I remember when you read it and you wrote the review for Robots, you said it was one of your favorite books of the year. It was, and it still is. Um... And we're closing in on the end of the year, and I have since read many, many more books. Um, and it continues to be one of my favorite. Um, uh, hey, let's put this in context. Um, we've mentioned before but for, that, that you're a speed reader and that you're a voracious <laughs> reader. Um, but for people who might not have listened to previous episodes, how many books have you read this year? I have read and or listened to That's 108 reading. books this year so Jesus far. Jesus Christ. Christ. So 108 <laughs> books, and this one has risen to the top. I don't know, top yep. five, top 10, whatever. But that's definitely still top 10. Yeah. Top 10 of 108 books. And now they weren't all new for 2019 books, but that's still freaking yes. impressive. So I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, this one, I, I like to, I like to uh, flaunt my reading skills, but I like when someone else does it better. So. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so, uh, the book is called how Rory Thorne destroyed the multiverse and it's kind of a a space opera flipped fairy tale mashup, um, where, you know, a, a young woman, Rory is forced into a betrothal by her mother who does not die. I know that's a little bit of a spoiler, but we did talk about it. In the well, we talked about it in the interview. Yeah, well, it's it's un it's unexpected, which is why we brought it up. Right, living living mother the whole time, um, uh, forced into a betrothal to for the purposes hypothetically of a peace treaty, um, but she decides that this is not what she wants, and she's not going to put up with it, um, and uncovers a whole conspiracy, and uh, you know, it's just. Great. It's a great book. There are great characters, especially Rory. Um, she is she is one of my favorites. Uh, the the sort of magic that she can do is math based, which is really neat. Um, so yes, it's a flip fairy tale, but there's a lot of things that Kay did differently than a typical fairy tale. Um, and it just it make it's an absolute joy to read. I was laughing out loud, which I don't do that often when I'm reading. Um, <laughs> and there's going to be more, which I'm also really excited about. Yeah. So should we talk obviously a lot about the book because it's um, her newest book and it's it's uh, a favorite of Shiri's. Uh, but we do talk about a few other things. She is a teacher. She teaches well. She teaches two different classes, which I didn't quite know when we went into the interview. But she teaches um, like first year college student first year writing in college and she said you know it's like one of those elect not an elective i'm sorry it's one of those requirements that all students have to take and uh it's you know it's a typical first year college mentality like oh i have to take this class like you can't teach me anything i don't know and she said it's it's just awful 
Uh, but she also teaches high school creative writing, which is an entirely different experience because those kids want to learn and they want to they want to be better. Yeah, and she so to say she just she disguises her name a little bit. <laughs> um, this book is relatively PG, but you know she's a little concerned about someday not writing such a PG book and having her uh, yeah. high school students find it. Although I have to tell I, you, I was I, just visiting my friend who. Uh, teaches middle school. <laughs> and so we went to Ireland together years ago and we were shoved in this tiny car with my now husband and two of our friends. And I, at some point apparently made a comment that if I had known where this was going to happen, I would have packed my smaller ass. <laughs> and she told this story as part of a narrative to her middle school students. I think she said, she said, but instead, <laughs> but like, <laughs> so I went to an event at her school and and her students were like, oh, this is Sherry. I was like, Steph? She's like, oh, I told them the butt story. <laughs> so, you know, they can take it to a certain extent. Yeah, I also <laughs> think that Kay is not giving high school students enough credit for their Google foo. You know, like if you mm-hmm. if you want to fly under their radar, like you got to you got to com- come up with a completely different pseudonym. Um and she didn't, which I think is cute. <laughs> but um, yeah, and she, you know, to no one's surprise, she has already admitted that. Yeah, they, they found out. <laughs> they do <Yeah>. every year. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, Rory is pretty is pretty PG. Yeah. So, so uh, no more delay. We're going to get right into it. This is our interview with Kay Eason. Uh, if you guys like the interview, if you like any of our interviews, if you like hearing from creative people of all stripes, I know we've been having, we've been on a run of authors lately. Uh, and that's just because, I don't know, because... Um, because I read fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we do. If you go, if you dig through the uh, the archives, we do talk to all types of creative people. We've got actors, artists, directors, astronauts, scientists. Uh, you name it. If there is a specific person or type of person you would like to hear on a future episode, please hit us up. You can find us online at the GBB Podcast. You can find me at the Robots. You can find Shiri. Uh, at SW Sondheimer on Twitter and at irate underscore Corvus on Instagram. And until next time, uh, I'm Jamie. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And here is our episode with uh, Kay Eason. Enjoy. I wanted to start off with sort of a general question, which kind of ties into the new book. But do you remember the first fairy tale that you ever read? Ah. <sighs> Red. Um, it might have been Little Red Riding Hood because there was a wolf on the cover, and I was super into everything that was had four legs. It was, if it had an animal, I'd read it. So that may have been the first one. Nice. So is that? I mean, so the yeah. the wolf is what drew you to it. But was there anything else about the story that sort of stuck with you or made you want to go back to that that genre again and again? You know, I'd love to have a great answer for that, but no, it was probably the wolf that yeah. kept me going back. And yeah, <laughs> and the the. the, the Disney movies were everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, I had limited options with what I could get my mother to take me to in the theater, and yay, Disney! That was that was the one. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. I think the so wolf. I saw is, a lot of them there. I think the wolf is probably my favorite character in that story as well. So. <laughs> yeah, and I was super indignant. I kept going back, thinking, "Is there a way the wolf could survive this? Right. Is there a way? Yeah, he's got to be able to come out of this okay. Otherwise, the story is not yeah. not one that I want to keep returning to." <laughs> I mean, exactly. he was just doing what came natural. There's meat wandering through the woods. You're going to eat it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think the only version that I don't prefer the wolf is in the, uh, again, Disney, but the Disney version of the uh, Through the Woods movie. Uh, just because it was Johnny. Oh, you haven't seen it? So uh, it, Through the Woods, it, I mean, it's the musical. And it's a really good movie. And most of the characters are really well cast. But the wolf is Johnny Depp. Uh, and it's just, it's, I mean, taking Johnny Depp out of the equation, the way that they presented the character of the wolf is just super creepy and like totally a pedophile. And it's really kind of disturbing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen versions of that in print. Like the wolf is this skeezy guy. And I think, no, no, the wolf is a, is a large canine of awesomeness. Exactly. Yeah, no skeezy guys. We have enough of that. Yeah. Well, this this interview has started out, you know, awesome and talking about pedophiles (laughs) and skeevy guys. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Um, So let's talk about writing. Do you remember when 
I mean, a lot of kids write stories. My, my daughter is 10 now and she's been writing for, for oh. years. But like, do you remember Ever, when yeah. you first started writing seriously and thinking like, hey, there's something I could do? I mean, seriously, I was probably like your daughter writing from about the time I could draw pictures and put little thought bubbles next to them. Yeah. But seriously decided I was going to be a writer. I think I just said at some point, I'm going to be a writer probably in middle school. Nice. When I was, you know, drafting my huge novel in pencil and longhand and spiral notebooks and my poor mother, <laughs> brave woman, read the thing. Yeah. Like, that's a mother's love for you. They read your middle school dragon fantasy novel. I love it. Um, but I think that was the time when I was just, oh, I'm going to do this someday. Yeah. I mean, and I sort of stuck with that, even though it's not easy. <laughs> Well, writing a novel in middle school is kind of admirable in and of itself. But I mean, (laughs) I I, I think becoming a writer, that's kind of what you have to do. You just say like, you know what, I'm going to do it, you know, because otherwise there's no there's no set career path for that. You know, there's no like check these four boxes and then you're on your way. It's just something that, you know, you have to decide I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it happen. Or, or die trying. Or die yeah. trying. Right. Or die trying. <laughs> or die <Exactly>. trying. <laughs> are, you a, are you a plotter or a pantser? We always ask this as like a binary question, but we have never gotten the same answer from two people. You know, it, honestly, I would love to say I, I'm pretty much a pantser, much to the chagrin of my agent who's always like, write me a synopsis. And I think, <laughs> I can't. Um <laughs> I can't write to a synopsis. I don't know what's going to happen. But usually a panther, although that may change. Uh, that may change according to the degree. The degree of it changes according to the manuscript because each story is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I have this elaborate plan that goes nowhere. And sometimes I have an outline, maybe a chapter or two in advance, like here's the thing that must happen. Here is a thing that must happen. And I have like blocking marks on the floor. I can make my way across, how, but how, mostly pantsing. How many times, though, with with that being said, like how many times do you start a story, whether it's a, a short story or a novel or what have you, where you know you can already see the ending, and that ending does not change? I have never started something with an ending in sight. Really, <laughs> that's interesting. I see. I find I start with a character problem. And I start trying to figure it out. And I usually figure out where the end is going to be and what's going to happen about a third of the way through. Mm-hmm. And then I say, okay, that's where we're aiming. And then that helps everything else shake into line. And then at that point, do you go back and either, you know, whatever form it might take, do you kind of outline it then? So you're like, okay, now I can see the big picture. I'm a third of the way through. And now let's kind of chart this out into steps to get me there. Or do you still just, just keep I- going? I never chart. I never chart. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's nicer. I tell my, my students, outline. Outlining is useful. And I'm like, nope. Big so, nope. Not doing it here. Do you, do is, you that, is that what you teach them? You teach them to do the complete opposite of what you do? Yeah. Well, I teach them. I'm, when I teach composition, I try and teach them to outline their arguments because pantsing your way through an argument doesn't work quite the same way as pantsing your way through a plot. Right. But I also think that the reason I pants the way I do, I can't even believe that's a verb. I'm pantsing. Um, <laughs> well, I'll do a Star Wars do. verb now, so. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Um, I think it's because I've read so much that the plot elements are all sort of floating in my head anyway. Like the, the pieces of plots that are up there, like, oh, this is clearly a thing that needs to happen because I'm so familiar with the way stories work that my brain, I trust my subconscious to figure things out for me. Hmm. And writing it down takes half the fun out of it for me because then I'm like, oh, that's where we're going. I don't want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a writing group that kind of helps you with the the just keep swimming parts of it? Or do you do it pretty much on your own? I'm pretty solo. I have a few friends who are cheerleaders who will either read the drafts as they come. Like I have one friend, she's been my best friend since high school. She will read the first draft of things, bless her heart every time. And 
she will keep the, here's where I think something is going wrong, keep going. But she's the only one I let read things partway through, piece by mm. piece. Everybody else has to wait till it's done, because I don't even know what it's going to look like at that point. <laughs> you, you mentioned your teaching. Do, do your teaching and your writing lives, like, ever intertwine, or do you try to keep them separate intentionally? I mean... Um, I, I try to keep them separate intentionally. My university teaching job, it's easy to do because they don't care. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're a hostile environment. I mean, they're not hostile. They're great. But they hate <laughs> writing, and they're in the writing class under duress, right. and they don't like to read. And so the idea of, oh, my teacher's an author would not impress them in any way. Right. So I can, they don't care. My high school that I teach creative writing at once a week, um, they do care, <laughs> and they are interested and I have had them come in and yell at me like, you didn't tell me you had a book out. <laughs> uh, okay, I guess we'll talk about that now. But yeah, that group, that group knows. <laughs> so that's hard, though, because when your high school students are like, oh, I read your book. It's like when your parents want to know about the sex scene, you know, but worse. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what makes me go, thank God Rory is a PG book because, whoo. So what happens? Go in and teach them. What happens? happens What? what? No, what happens to the students between high school and and college? The first year of college. What happens that they, you know, their interest level just drops off a cliff? I think it's a different demographic of student. I'm getting um, in in college. I'm an adjunct and I teach composition to non majors, and they're largely students. A lot of them are international, but a lot of them are just, nope, we're here for engineering, we're here for economics, we're here for whatever. We're getting the writing out of the way. We don't like writing. We don't mm. like reading. It's just a... And it's, the, it's the creative writing kids. Yeah. And the creative writing kids, even if they don't go into creative writing and English as majors, self-select into the, the conservatory because they love reading and writing. It's a thing. Yeah. So they're just, they're just already much more engaged with words. In fairness, that's how I felt about calculus. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did not. There's a reason. I was going to be a biochemist, and no. Mm-mm. Oh, wow. Then I got to Calc 2 and said, nope. <laughs> I am noping out. Nope. Also, I hate labs. I don't want to be in a lab. And thought, I should probably not be a, a scientist then in a lab. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should not be devoting out. my life to this thing that I don't like. <laughs> exactly. I should not do this. <laughs> But that's what college is for, right? I mean, it's to find out what oh, you yeah. don't like. Well, yeah. The kids who come in but, like convinced that they already know what they're going to be. And I'm like, really? Yeah. You're 18. Your brain isn't done cooking yet. You have no idea. Yeah. Give yourself some time. Figure things out. That's why I think it's ridiculous that colleges still ask on applications what your intended major is. Because really? Like, nobody in high school knows what they want to do. No. Yeah. I hope they don't. I mean, I, yeah. some of them think they do. And I go, eh, maybe, maybe like the, the med school kids that are really hardcore and they've known their whole life. They want to be a doctor. I'm like, okay. But I wonder how much do. of that really like, do they really want to be a doctor or is it just family pressure or is it, they think that's what they should be and they don't know that there are alternatives. I mean, I love yeah, doctors. We need doctors. Need- that's for sure. But like, I don't know. I'm all for letting <laughs> the kid figure it out. Yeah, I kind of think we should all be undeclared for at least a year. Absolutely. And just take things, just try things, learn things. But then college is so bloody expensive. You know, I don't want to tell kids, hey, you're going to be spending $30,000 this year. Go nuts and take underwater basket weaving to see if you have an inner underwater basket weaver and run up this huge debt. Yeah. So it's it's a flip for me. Hey, man, that's how I ended up being an anthropology major. See, but anthropology sounds cool. Anthro is awesome. It is super awesome, and I love it, and I regret nothing, but it's not exactly a goldmine when it comes to jobs. Yeah, well, well, I mean, that's why I went to undergrad. Yeah. That's why I went to to undergrad, went to grad school, and then went back to undergrad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so you yo-yoed. You went back and forth. I did. I have fair, though. I have a master's in theology, and then I went back and I got a degree in nursing because yeah. theology is not practical. <laughs> Fair. I mean, I've got my degrees are in English, 
straight up English lit. And I, I managed to leverage that for years in administration. Like I can write, I mm-hmm. can communicate, I can read and understand. And I worked on NASA grants, yep. which was fabulous. Because I, you know, the scientist types didn't want to do the writing, but I was happy to do it. Oh, exactly. So and that's the justification that I say fun, for but... for uh, for majoring in anthro and getting an anthro degree. Is that like I learned to read critically and I learned to analyze everything and, and look at the world around me in a special blah 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 blah. But yeah, it led to me becoming an editor, and you know, same thing. I worked on and um, grants and proposals and textbooks and all these kind of mm-hmm. things from people who don't necessarily write very well, but I can come in and make them sound great, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the thing I always tell my kids, like, don't assume that there's no, there's no hope for you in the liberal arts. If you get a liberal arts degree, like, what am I going to do? I'm going to flip burgers. Oh, screw that. You are not. And yeah. also there's nothing wrong with that. I sold coffee for a year after grad school. It was yep. fine. Yep. Um, yay baristas. But yeah, there's I was always, one too. If you can write, if you can read, you can sell that. If you can critically think, that's what we should be doing anyway in college. And now I will get off my soapbox and <laughs> not preach. But Do you ever draw inspiration from those students? You know, the ones that like... Always. Know, really? Always. My high school kids especially. Um, they're just so... I was not that savvy in high school. These guys are just so with it and so on it and so fierce. I kind of love them. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to go save the world, y'all. <laughs> Seriously. Have to. They are our only hope Seriously. at this point. <laughs> like, I'm doing the best I can, but Gen X, we are fighting just sort of a trench war trying to stop we can't do much anymore yeah we're just trying Mm -hmm. to not explode like not die out you know and like we can't we can't (laughs) we can't like push forward the front lines we're just like let's not die let's not lose okay that's all we can hope for die (laughs) our goal today not to die that's right (laughs) it's an admirable goal (laughs) um so okay let's start talking a little bit about rory um okay Flip fairy tales are a thing that are have been around for a while, um, super popular. People enjoy them for different reasons, but I think everybody comes at them from a different angle or for a different reason. What led you to wanting to write one? I was super frustrated with the patriarchy. I know that's a surprise. <laughs> um, no, actually, think. do you remember Think Geek back when Think Geek had a website? Yeah. Yeah, they had a T-shirt that said Self-Rescuing Princess on it. Sure, right. And I fell in love with that T-shirt. And my husband told me I should write a story about a self-rescuing princess. And I was like, and I think he just said it to, you know, hush. Quit talking about the T-shirt, buy the damn T-shirt and go write a book. And so I, you know, eventually I did write the book. But I thought, I want to do a a, a fairy tale that puts a foot in the, the, some of the tropes. Like, I'm, I'm tired of princesses. I don't like princesses. I don't like how they get treated. I don't like how they have to dress glass slippers. Are you serious? Come on. That's dumb. Um, what do you mean? The strange man gets to kiss you and marry you at the end. What, what the hell is that about? Strange man kisses me and marries me. I think not. So I wanted to do something with that and sort of start turning it on its end. So that's where I started from, from a place of defiance and irritation. That shirt came along right when my peer group, my friend group, started having kids, and I bought that for every daughter that was born <laughs> for the for the life of that t-shirt design. Um, so most flip fairy tales, though, are presented in a fantasy setting. What made you choose science fiction? I was, I kept trying to overturn the tropes. That was part of my overturning of things. I mean, if the 13th fairy, if the fairies are going to be aliens and the 13th fairy is going to have spiked hair and dress like a punk, then Mm. why the hell shouldn't I put it in space? Why Mm. not? What else can I keep flipping over and seeing what I can mess up? I mean, it was supposed to be a chapter. Rory, the first chapter was supposed to be the whole story. And it was when I hit the end of it, I realized it wasn't. And I, might have a book on my hands. And then I really kind of did have to start thinking about the science. But <laughs> I mean, it didn't really though, because 
Star Wars, bless its heart, is basically fantasy in space, too. So, you know, followed and, you know, follow that trend. And did you kind of path? Did was that part of was the sorry (laughs) was um, (laughs) having Rory be an erythromancer. So including a, a STEM discipline in your magic system, was that part of that same path? Um, that was another, this is where the pantsing comes in. That was a sort of a whim that I picked up because ancient Greek literature, mythology, all of that stuff. One of the things I really like and Pythagoras curse him for geometry, but he was this cool, crazy mystic on the side and a vegetarian and all these other things. And math is, to me, math is the language of the universe. So what if it was also the magic of the universe? What if you had to speak that language to do that magic? So it was, eh, it was just, let's try. Let's, let's look at math as magical language. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends is an applied mathematician, and we used to sit in my office and talk about all of the crazy stuff that happens in math. Where he says, oh, you think this is, you think this is fixed. You think this is finite you think that this is understandable oh no there is some crazy business that happens with numbers and i thought okay i'm gonna do some crazy business with it i'm gonna make it magic (laughs) tell me about this crazy business (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know if i could what the the actual math i couldn't even begin to tell you (laughs) just just, just these theories he would start talking about and i'd start tilting my head like what what are you talking i still don't understand what an imaginary number is supposed to be (laughs) <laughs> or an irrational number, but I don't care. They just sound really cool. Like, okay, I'm going to represent this this number with an I. <laughs> like, all right. I don't, I don't get it. I'm not a mathematician, but sufficiently advanced science looks like magic. Sufficiently advanced math looks like magic. That seems fair to me. Right. That's totally fair. I, I went to college with two, or I lived with two astrophysics majors. Um Oh boy. One of them was a double major astrophysics and physics, I believe, like just straight up physics. And it was like they spoke another language, you know, like it was that math language, yeah. but it was not one that I, I, I like there were no cognates. Like I had no idea what they were talking about. Like and it's it is it's like, you know, they talk about imaginary numbers and talk about how how elegant the math is. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> my husband. Yeah. My husband my husband is a programmer and I'm a nurse. So we've just come to terms that we don't talk about work because he thinks my job is disgusting and I don't understand his job because of all the numbers. <laughs> Which is fair. And programming is a different thing too. It's just, right. It's also so, so to some degree it's spell work. I'm going to get this strange machine to do what I need it to do by feeding it the commands and the code and the pattern that I need to do it. Kind of, it's kind of awesome. Have you ever seen the "Can you lick the science" meme? <laughs> yes, I've seen it. Although I have never tried anything. <laughs> so the computer science, the computer science one is you might as well. Nothing else has gotten the code to run. <laughs> like you said, <laughs> it's like magical. <laughs> it's not working. Let's lick it. <laughs> Let's lick it. Let's. I always threaten to sacrifice chickens or go back to either some old, brutal thing. My computer says, okay, all right, I'll run. <laughs> um, I noticed reading the book that in in a lot of sci-fi and a lot of fantasy, it's, it's a single woman surrounded by a bunch of men. But mm. in Rory, it's a woman... And there are men who are important, her teacher, um, her allies, but her inner circle is predominantly really kick-ass women. I have a friend who (laughs) calls this circle in her life, calls it her life decisions committee, um, because when something's going on, (laughs) this is the group of women that she goes to and she's like, all right, I need to talk about this. Um, And Rory kind of has that same thing, but... In the story, she's much younger than many of us are when we develop that. Um, why was it important for her to, to be surrounded by women? 
part of it was trying to keep the consistency of the world. You're not going to have a princess whose attendants, whose close attendants are male. Mm-hmm. Part of it was the echo to her mother because it's a fairy tale with a present living mother. I'm whoa. Um, and <laughs> I have a question about that later matriarchy. on. <laughs> yes. So her mother comes from a matriarchy. So I wanted to keep that sort of thing going. And I just thought, but it's important for her to have peers. Well, she doesn't ever have peers. She's a princess, but it's important for her to have women around her and different facets of women so that poor Rory isn't the one who has to be the strong female character, but also this, but also that she can actually be a character and the other people, the other women can be characters mm-hmm. instead of being the token woman who must be all the things lest someone get upset. Her two bodyguards that are about the same age as her. And I'm sorry, I read it a while ago and their names are escaping me right now, but they were two of my favorite characters. Cause they're like, Oh, come on again. <laughs> and you know, they would, they would speak up when they thought something wasn't working or when something was a bad idea. But if she decided to do it, they were like, oh, fine. Like, okay, yeah, fine. We support you. <laughs> yeah. Because ultimately at the end of the day, you are the boss and we have to put up with your nonsense. But you know, I, yeah. I, as a woman, I appreciated that because part of the whole life decisions committee thing is that we always support each other. So if the person makes a decision you don't like, you may not be in favor of the decision, but you always support the person. And I think I maybe yeah. I was reading my own experience into the book, but I felt like I saw that in that even tighter inner circle of the three of them who are about the same age. That was kind of the goal because I didn't want I didn't want Rory to be the lone hero because mm-hmm. in a lot of the fairy tales, you have the lone hero who gets helpers, but ultimately is the agent responsible for changing the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, but that's not really how it works. Most of the time we have friends and we wouldn't be where we were without friends and support and families and networks. Mm-hmm. And so that was part of part of the feminism of it that I consciously wanted her to have to rely on people. She couldn't just do everything alone. And so then moving on from there, you know, it is a fairy tale. It does have a, a romance, but it's one that comes about very slowly. And even when it's a romance, she's not real sure about it, but she's the active party. Um, so talk a little bit about why that was important. And then, like, did you feel that the book needed a romance or was that just fun to write? Um, I would even argue that it is a romance or isn't a romance. She never makes clear how she feels. He does. (laughs) Right. But she never does. She never comes down on the one way or the other. Um, I put that in there. It's that was one of those pants moments of, oh, dear, this is a thing that is going to happen, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> okay, fine, because I hadn't planned on it. But then I, when I put the, the wicked stepfather and the wicked stepbrothers in, I decided maybe one of them isn't so wicked. I mean, how can I play with this? How can I deal with the toxic masculinity of the older brother and the younger brother and their tension? And is one of them actually going to be um, redeemable? Mm-hmm. And then how that redemption was going to end up happening, how that arc was going to happen, ended up just sort of balancing into romance. But that's his expectation of it because mm-hmm. that's his expectation. She does not have that expectation. Hmm. She wanted to get something done. and <laughs> She needed him to do it. Uh-huh. She was being very, um, what's the word I want? Word, 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 word. Calculated about it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the piece I need. And he, of course, sees that, he, not an of course, I'm trying to be fair to him, but he sees her, he falls in love with that because it's unusual, because she's showing him kindness, because she's showing him regard. Mm-hmm. But is it a romance? Mm, sure. But, no, <laughs> but yeah, but no. Maybe. <laughs> there's there's no there's no kiss and happily ever after so right is there ever and so 
<laughs> no, no. And the fairy tales have lied all along about that business. Yeah. I mean, we found out even Han and Leia couldn't stay together. That's right. There is no Although, truth in the yeah, world. that was that was hard. That was really hard for me. I was like, wait, what? That's like, no. No. But then, but then I thought about it a little. I'm like, oh, he's such a bonehead, and she's so smart. Mm-hmm. And and I always capable. thought, what are you doing, Leia? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a bad boy. I get that. He's hot as hell, young Harrison Ford. Oh yeah, I get that. But you can't. He's sweet. No. He's sweet, <laughs> but he's kind of not the smartest crayon in the box. And ultimately, he's married to the ship and to the Wookiee. And to the <laughs> adrenaline rush. Right. Right. <laughs> Someone on Twitter the other day was like, Han was not the, the suave ladies man. That was Lando. Han was yeah. an idiot and Leia was a moron sexual. And I was like, ouch, but also fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, speaking of Leia, who had lost her mother, uh, Rory's mother is alive, as we discussed yeah. a little bit earlier, but they have a and they have a very complicated relationship. Um, yep. And in fact, her it's her mother's decision to betroth her to this dude that Rory has met once and doesn't particularly like and has said she doesn't particularly like that kind of um, kicks off the action. So she's not exactly the villain, but she's kind of the jailer. How did that whole relationship come about? I needed to have a living mother <laughs> because fairy tales so often don't. But right. then I thought, what would it be like? She'd have to balance desire, what she wants for her daughter. I mean, clearly she wanted a daughter. That's why the fairies made Rory a girl. But she also has to balance responsibility to a kingdom to a consortium to if she's got so many things pulling on her responsibilities and so many things pulling on her senses of duty. And at the end of the day, a princess's job is to on some level secure political alliance. A prince's job is the same. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to be in this sort of feudal monarchic construction, monarchic a word it is now, um, then you have to, that's part of the price is that you're, you don't get to marry for love. You get to be placed where you are most politically useful. Mm-hmm. So her mom doesn't want to do it. And Rory, part of what breaks Rory's heart is realizing that her mom's going to do it anyway, even though she doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and compel this to happen because it's either, Hey, I marry my daughter to this guy and marries herself as well to someone she does not like or want in order to keep the peace so that there is a future for more than just herself, but the future for her people. So it's on some level, it's that noble sacrifice sort of thing, but it's also sacrificing your own child for other people's children, Mm -hmm. which is part of what makes, I wouldn't want to be a monarch. I wouldn't want to be the leader of, I wouldn't want that burden at all, ever. No, thank you. And ultimately, neither does Rory. But and it's always so interesting when when little girls are like, "I want to be a princess," and you're a little older and you've read about monarchies, and you're like, "You really don't." <laughs> no, you really don't. <laughs> and much less do you want to be queen. Do you really want that? It doesn't seem like much fun. Um. I, I read something about you that I need to ask. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, dear. It's, it's good. It's fine. Um, but I read that you do Viking sword and shield work. Yeah. What does that mean do. exactly? So sword and sh- I have a wooden sword and I have a wooden shield and I sometimes go out with my husband and we practice Viking fighting style okay. techniques. Um, that's what that means. Uh, that's Although fine. my I, heart belongs to the Japanese. I didn't know if it meant that you my, made Viking swords and shields or if you no. practiced using them. We practice using them. Nice. Using them. 
Now, yeah. you, I think you, that's pretty cool. It is. It is super cool, and it's like it opens <laughs> up a whole other like line of conversation here. But I'm going to try to keep it short. Um, and you said you prefer the Japanese. Yeah, I, my first my first sword training was with Japanese blades, and those are still my favorite. The big two handed katana types. So that you spar with the boken and the shinai, and yeah, those are my those are my heart. Have Have you gone? Have field. you had like like actual training with this or do you just like are you like a, a self-taught youtuber <laughs> like youtube learner? i know no <laughs> i was learning i learned sword from a, a former roommate a long time ago he had he had trained overseas in hong kong and with japanese stuff uh-huh. go figure and then had come back and he was taking other stuff locally and he's and i had had a dodgy boyfriend experience that was a little scary and i said i need to learn self-defense and he said, okay, do you want to, what do you want to learn? And of course, being so practical and playing way too much D&D at the time, I said, I want to learn sword because that's what you're going to use in sure. a bad boyfriend situation, <laughs> clearly. Right. And so that's what he started to teach me. That's amazing. So years and years of that, and I would do it on and off and on and off. And then I went and did formal martial arts, and then I kept coming back to the sword. And I'm looking at one right now that's propped up on my wall. That's amazing. That I, I love that, like, it. if you get into, like, you know, a sketchy situation, you're not going to reach for the mace. You're going to reach for your katana. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's good in an apartment because it's not going to punch through the walls. Like, you don't want to shoot people because, no. True. Yeah, right. But if you met somebody coming at you with even a wooden one, those those hurt. Having been hit by those, those hurt. Yeah, you can do That's a lot enough. of damage with wooden weapons. So yeah. With, with people the... make fun of them, but don't. With the Viking sword and shield stuff, though, like, do you try to do um, historically accurate sword work? Yes. Or okay, yes. Now, how do you so how do you do your research for that? Hurstvik Viking, um, and I can't remember. It's Hurstvik something something. Anyway, if you look up Hurstvik online, they do DVDs. They have done reconstructions based on the literature and on drawings and on etc etc so they try to do a historical reconstruction of what it would have been like with the same materials with how you would have to use these things which with the way that battles are described in the sagas and they reconstruct how to fight with a sword and a shield and so we tried to do that it's that's much harder to do because we don't have a chapter around us so it's sort of us trying to figure it out yeah that's and we're not Jamie, very good at it, but we try. Jamie, do you not have a favorite sword? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, I think I need to broaden. I, do. I, mean, I think I need to broaden my horizons of of what swords are out there. You really Clear, do. Clearly. There are many swords. There are many swords. My favorite is a kanda, which is from like India and in the Middle East, because it has a cutting edge and a pushing edge. So yeah. you cut, and then the other the edge closer to you is flat so you can push. Yeah. It's a lot like the katana with the single edge and you can, you can, if you need to brace your hand on the back mm-hmm. and the Maori, putting your fingers. Yeah. The Maori ones that look like they're for blunt force trauma, but actually if you're a skilled warrior, you're supposed to be able to stab people with them. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> those, well, and those guys are scary anyway. Seriously. Okay. You've gotten tattoos on your face by, Ink with a hammer, like okay, you are already a badass. You win all the things, and now you have this scary weapon and no armor. You win all the things. I'm all the things. Messing with you. I'm gonna make him pick a favorite sword now. Who me? <laughs> yeah, you. All right, I gotta do my research first because really, like, I know just a handful, and um... I have a whole Pinterest board. I'll share it with you. Oh, okay, that's that, that'll be a good starting point. In fact, I have two. I have bladed weapons and blunt force weapons. Only I'll share you. them both Only you. you. Of course. Why am Excellent. I not? Why am Apparently I surprised not. at this? <laughs> I don't know why I would be, even be surprised that you have a Pinterest board for, for swords. Because that's that's you. That's totally right. That checks out. That checks out. <laughs> um, getting back to Kay. <laughs> um, it, it, random question. But if you could put just one book in everybody's hands to read, what would you choose? Oh, just one book. Ouch. 
I mean, you could pick just your own. Just one? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's <laughs> way too. That's way too. I don't know. I really don't. Just one book. Ouch. I'm not going to have a good answer yeah. for this. It's an this unfair question. question just, that I would have to. Yeah, just to spring I on you. Just bring it's totally at me at the end. Yeah, totally. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're not. You're totally not sorry. You want to see me flail <laughs> around here for a minute and go stare at my bookshelf frantically? Thinking, yeah, you're going to be thinking about. Say? You're going to be thinking about this all day. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm going to go ask my high school students, and they're going to come up with things like Percy Jackson, and I'm going to say no. How come on? <laughs> not everybody needs to. I mean. <laughs> Now, guys, this is the one book everybody gets. Yeah. Nothing against That's okay, Percy Jackson. That's okay because but... mentioning Percy Jackson, Rick couldn't tell us what what mythical creature that he would want most for transportation. Uh, he did, didn't he? A griffin. I know. Totally a griffin. See, that was mine too. That I could answer. Yeah. <laughs> but one did... book in everybody's hand. Ouch. Oh no! It was the mythology joke. He couldn't think of his favorite mythology. Favorite, yeah, because he said dragon. I mean, because he said, "Come on, dragon." Okay. That, that, right. What else would it be? But if he didn't have a favorite <laughs> mythology joke, which again, totally random. Like, who has a favorite mythology joke? I didn't even know that was a subgenre. Right? Of jokes, Neither did I. So. Neither did I. <laughs> but he seemed the appropriate person to ask. Like, if anybody's going to know about mythology jokes, it, it's it's going to be Rick Riordan. So. Um, I will let you off the hook about Fair. the one book. That's that's. But that what a, are you reading right now? Yeah, that's a much easier question. I am reading Rules for Vanishing right now, which is this creepy, creepy young adult, super scary. It's Halloween season book oh, that just came out, and it's yeah, it's it's squicking me a little bit, and I'm having a great time with it. I'm like, ah, this is creepy. I shouldn't read it in the dark. Of course, I'm going to read it in the dark. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I just, what did I just finish? I think I, Where Oblivion Lies, I just finished. Which is also creepy. Yay. It's, it's creepy season. It's so everything season. is creepy. That's right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it is. Do we have a, uh, an ETA on book two for Thorn, for Rory? Should be next fall. It's on my editor's desk. So. <gasps> Yay! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Rory 2 is, is ready, well, not ready to go, but in the process of being ready to go. This has been the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com and on Twitter and Facebook at thegbbpodcast. Thanks again for subscribing and listening. We really do appreciate it. And until next week, I am Jamie Green, and you can find me at The Roarbots. Take care.